0: Sports syndicate hi everyone welcome back to the boston sports syndicate red sox podcast to be named later this is the syndicates podcast dedicated solely to the boston red sox and all things major league baseball i'm bill travers thank you for joining us joining me once again is great blogino himself chris henrik chris how are you
1: guys how are we doing today A little special uh a little special episode, two in one week.
0: Yes, I was going to get into that in a little bit. You you stole my thunder. Uh, let me introduce our other cohort. He is known as the Synditaker, Matt Derosha. Matt, how you doing? Not doing too uh, not doing too bad, guys. I'm excited to get you know get in get
2: it together and do another podcast this week.
0: So as Chris said, we have a special episode that we wanted to do. Um, just talking a little inside baseball, which is a term you hear now for everything, for politics and whatever. In this case, it applies because we're a baseball podcast. Uh, we, For every episode, we throw together an agenda. And we always look at it and say, well, in case we need to stretch, let's add this or let's add that. And as always happens, we end up talking for almost an hour and a half, and we don't get to everything on our agenda. So we had that, we've actually had this topic we want to talk about today on our agenda for a little while. And if, if you're a regular listener to our podcast... First of all, thank you. You'll know that we haven't gotten to it. So we decided we drop an extra episode because, hey, everybody's sitting at home right now anyway. Why not listen to our podcast? But before we do that, we wanted to just talk about a couple of quick things that have come up since we last recorded, which was Sunday and our podcast dropped Monday. Uh, we're now recording on Wednesday and hopefully going to drop this on Thursday. So uh, just recently, uh, there was an article by Rob Bradford of WEEI who interviewed John Lester, former Red Sox pitcher, now with the Cubs. And John Lester made the comment that he would be very open to rejoining the Red Sox in 2021. I'm assuming his contract with the Cubs ends this year and he'll be a free agent and uh, could possibly come back to the Red Sox, which has spurred a lot of interest. And, of course, got Chris to write an article for our website, so I want to throw it out.
1: We know, we know
0: Chris likes it. Shocker. We know Chris <laughs> likes it, so I'll kick it to him first. Uh, Chris, you like it? Why?
1: So I looked at it from two points of view. I looked at it from the fan perspective, and I looked at it from a Red Sox perspective. So from a fan perspective, it's a great PR move for a team that desperately needs some good PR. To bring back a John Lester, a guy that was a fan favorite, he won two World Series with this team. You're bringing a familiar face back. It's it's a win from that standpoint. Now, from a team perspective, you have Chris Sale, who's out with Tommy John, who we're probably not going to see back until around we'll call it say mid June. You can bring in a John Lester. He doesn't have to be the ace, but he provides you depth. He provides you some insurance while not having a Chris Sale. And then when you incorporate Chris Sale back into the rotation, now you have a rotation with Chris Sale, Nathan Evaldi, Eduardo Perez, and John Lester anchoring the back end of that. That's not a bad foursome. That, that to me, says that you're trying to compete for the playoffs. That says to me that you have that you're invested now the only way this works in my opinion is simple it has to be short years and short money and I think the one thing that the Red Sox are going to have going for themselves with this is that you're going to come into the offseason on the heels of with coronavirus and whether it's a shortened season or whatever it's going to happen we kind of talked about this a little bit with Mookie Betts we don't really know what the money landscape's gonna look like in baseball. So the Red Sox could get a John Lester who's on the back nine of his career at a much, much cheaper, I think, rate than maybe he would have had without all of this that's going on. So if you can say to me that you can get John Lester on like a two year deal or even a one year deal with a club option, and you're gonna pay him Rick Porcello money like ten to twelve million, I'm gonna jump all over that. I'm going to jump all over it because it's a familiar face. He's going to provide leadership also in a clubhouse that desperately needs a leader. Not David Ortiz popping in every once in a while, not Jason Veritek popping in, or Pedro, but a leader. Especially if you're going to maybe have a new manager next year that isn't Alex Cora, this would be a really good move for the Red Sox in all fronts. So that's just from those two standpoints. I got some other pieces which I'll go into a little bit. I don't want to hog up too much of this opening segment, but like to me, it's a win-win. It, it really, really is. And if he really wants to come back, and you can get him back on short dollars, if I'm Heim Bloom, I I make the call. I make it happen. All
2: right. I think yeah. you were. Uh, I mean, I don't. I couldn't disagree with anything you just said, Chris. I think it's a good PR move. But this is why I love the idea of bringing John Lester back. He's, you know, he's he's fading in talent. I I would say, but let me read off some numbers to you. 210 203 208 192 205 213 219 205 202 180 181 171 Do you know what those are guys?
0: His batting average in the National League? Well, those are innings pitch. <laughs> i was gonna
1: say. This I...
2: guy is an innings eater and it doesn't matter at, a, at last year he had a 4.46 ERA at that clip eating that many innings, that that's very
0: valuable in today's game. Yeah, something you definitely need, especially at the back end you know, he's of the rotation.
1: 35, going at, well, he's going to be 36 this year. So if you're going to tell me that a 35-year-old last year, he won 13 games for you, even if he was to bring and win 10 games next season with the Red Sox, if he, if he was there for 2021, you're going to take that. Because it's not going to be the uncertainty of who's going out there for the fourth and for the fifth start. You know, I mean, great point with the innings. I mean, yes, his innings have gone down the last three years, but you know what hasn't changed? The guy takes the ball every fifth start. He doesn't miss starts. The only time that he missed starts was at the beginning of his career when he had the cancer issue. But other than that, he takes the ball every fifth day, and he is dynamite in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, I mean, his innings have gone down, but the league's innings have gone down. So, I mean, you're, you're talking from just five years ago the number of 200-inning pitchers who have thrown 200 innings has dwindled down to just a select few. So if you could get 170 to 180, maybe pushes 190, even at a 4 ERA, that is so valuable, especially to a team like the Red Sox that needs someone to take the ball every fifth day.
0: Yeah, I got to agree with both of you guys, which I've already done, but unfortunately I muted my microphone so I could clear my throat and I never unmuted it. So you didn't hear all the brilliant (laughs) points that I was making. And I wondered why you kept talking over me. (laughs) <laughs> but anyway so, yeah I can't I can't disagree with any of you and if if we can get baseball in this year and the Red Sox can get out of luxury tax jail next year they'll have an open checkbook that they can sign anybody so maybe even for all the things that both of you brought up the value of Lester maybe you even do pay him a little bit more than what he might be worth on the open market just to get him to come back and maybe to mend fences with him because you did low ball on the last time yeah that'd well, be awesome
1: yeah and I agree with that and and you know I was trying to think about this earlier today that you know who's going to be a suitor for John Lester there are going to be teams that are going to be interested in Lester and there's one team that comes to mind that I really think more so than anybody other than Boston that is a real player for him next year and that's the Cleveland Indians and that's because of the tie in with Terry Francona Cleveland is in a similar position where here's a club that they don't have a lot of money to spend but when they do invest, they invest – they're smart with how they invest for their players. And if you can bring in, again, a John Lester, a veteran, who ha, who will come in and just needs to be your fourth starter and a team like the Cleveland team who is still trying to be competitive but is also going to begin to kind of transition a little bit, You know, especially if they trade Francisco Lindor. But if they don't trade him, bringing in a Lester and a veteran into that rotation is, is a really good move for, for, for that club. So I kind of look at them really as the only team that's really a true maybe sleeper in the in the stakes because of the Francona connection. Um, I, I think that the Cubs are still a viable option. So it's a it's a mutual like player option type thing. So if the Cubs were to let him go, he still gets like 10 million dollars. So but it's still better than the 25 they would have to pay him. So he could still end up with the Cubs, but he's not worth the 25. So if I'm the Cubs who are in a similar position with the Red Sox. They're in that salary cap jail as well. Um, they have aging players. They got contracts they want to move. The Cubs were not as aggressive in free agency. Um, they made a lot of under-the-radar, sim- Heim bloom style moves um, that really weren't talked about because we don't obviously follow the Chicago Cubs. But um, if you take a look at some uh, Cub publications, Theo got some heat this offseason, very similar to Heim bloom with some of the moves that he made, or lack thereof. So... Um, the Cubs aren't a lock, but I, I I would say the Indians to me are a sleeper team.
2: No, the Indi- I I agree. The Indians definitely could be a sleeper team, and but it really boils down to that Terry Francona connection. Okay. If they keep Lindor, that means they're gonna have to shed things around him because the salaries that they were trying to get rid of, you know, aside from Lindor himself they're they're always kind of like they have a small market baseball mind so if the red Sox can come in give them a nice a nice quick strong offer you know like you had mentioned earlier chris those numbers sound about right i feel like it's he'd be theirs for the taking
1: yeah so my only i don't jump in really quick my only worry though with uh with Lester, if i was going to be concerned is this home run total has gone up the last couple of years um you know he's given up consistently in the last four years, 20 plus home runs. And last year he gave up 26, which was tied for a career high. Um, so an aging picture, pitcher, uh, pitcher, aging pitcher, easy for me to say. Um, Give me an aging
2: picture of a pitcher.
1: Yeah, you know giving up giving up uh, dingers like that um, to me is a little bit of a concern. But I think that there's a lot of other pluses that will outweigh all that. Um, but uh, I have another piece that I want to pose out there. But I, I don't want to see, see if you guys have some other uh, thoughts on Lester.
0: No, hit us with your thought. You hit it so,
1: up. so here's I'm gonna make a statement that I'm gonna probably say is people are gonna disagree with. So, back when we were talking about this, you had mentioned that Lester was disrespected by the Red Sox. So, before he was traded that that and during that season, Lester was given a four year, seventy million dollar offer from the Red Sox. He turned that down, and Red Sox traded. John Lester at the deadline with Johnny Gomes and some cash to the A's, and they got Jonas Cespedes and a competitive balance pick. At the time when they made that trade, the Red Sox were looking to retool the Major League roster because Ben Sherrington felt that his minor league system was flush with talent, so he didn't need to go out and get minor league talent. Red Sox opted to get Cespedes. They, were in, they needed a middle of the lineup bat. Also, they needed outfield help. They thought it was a no-brainer. Well, Cespedes was a head case, and they couldn't get him out of Boston fast enough. So then they traded him for Rick Porcello. Now, do you guys remember when they got Rick Porcello and the fan backlash of, well, you just let John Lester walk to bring in Rick Porcello? Do you guys remember that?
0: Yeah, and shortly after that, they signed Porcello to a contract extension, which which had a big big backlash. Yeah,
2: I remember the backlash being more so about that $20 million-a-year extension that he got.
1: All right, so the Red Sox signed Rick Porcello to a five-year, $80 million extension. If you think about months earlier than that, the Red Sox were offering John Lester four years at $70 million. They were trying to pay him what they felt that he was going to give them statistically over the next couple of seasons. A lot of times teams are trying to pay people sometimes more so what they're going to do in the future versus what you've done for me lately and then kind of build off that. The Red Sox looked like they were trying to pay him what they thought he was going to bring. Well, guys, if you look at Rick Porcillo and John Lester's numbers, they're pretty similar over the over the span of five years, over the last five years. The Red Sox had Rick Porcillo. They got him at age 26. Okay. You just signed a 26-year-old to a five-year extension of $80 million. The Cubs went and signed. John Lester to $155 million. The numbers are almost identical with the only exception is that Rick Porcello's ERA was about a run higher. The Red Sox got killed because they didn't go ahead and give uh, John Lester the money, the ace of your staff and you went and replaced him essentially with Rick Porcello. I think they got it right because they, they got the same picture from a, from a, from a number standpoint at a reduced value, a value that they kind of felt that John Lester was going to be all along. They thought he was going to be a $70 million pitcher. And they ended up going with Porcello and gave him 80. And he pitched to the numbers of the money that they paid him. If that makes any sense to you.
0: No, I think it makes good sense. Uh, and And I think the big thing was is Porcello was four or five years younger than Lester when they made that deal. So they also saw that he was going into his prime years. So I think I think that was a good move. But I think the more what I equate more to them letting Lester go and, and lowballing him on an offer is I look at that as the backlash from that with Parcello aside led to the knee jerk signing of David Price and the overpayment of David Price to bring in that age. Which,
1: which which I have in my notes on the side here, which is 100 percent true. Because you were ready David, for me. Oh, I was ready. <laughs> because it made them incredibly hypocritical because the Red Sox ownership, they made a decision that they did not want to go ahead and invest months <laughs> and years into pitching. That was something that John Henry was kind of on the record with saying that he wasn't going to invest a long commitment into pitching. Not not just into it,
0: pitching, if I can interrupt you for a second, into a 30-year-old pitcher. Because yeah, what, that, what they were saying they back that. then was, you know, the, the stats show that once a pitcher hits 30 – his numbers start to decline. So they were hesitant to put that money into Lester because he was going into his thirties. Right.
1: And at the end of the day,
0: and they turned around and they turned around and gave Price the bigger contract as he was going into his thirties.
1: And they did. Now, the only argument that I would say though, is that had you signed John Lester, you would still have saved considerably a ton of, a ton of cash because you gave David Price two hundred and seventeen million dollars when the Cubs only paid one fifty five, so like the differential right there, you're not having to go ahead and package up John Lester with Mookie Betts this off to to try because you're afraid you're not going to resign him. So, yeah, in my you know in a way yes they kind of got it right, but they also still got it wrong because they went out. And they invested money, and it wasn't Charrington. Charrington didn't go ahead, and he didn't make the move for David Price. Charrington left. They they brought in they brought in Dombrowski, they and he goes out, and the first thing he does, he opens the checkbook, he brings in David Price. Now David Price brought them a World Series. They they won two World Series post John Lester. So, actually, no, they wait, no, no just no, the just one, one, just the one. Well, I'm sorry. I was looking at something really quick. Um, so yeah, you know, it's it's frustrating because you had someone who was homegrown. The Red Sox do not develop pitching. They just can't seem to do it. And when you can't develop pitching, what end, what ends up happening? You trade an asset, and you have to go out and get a 26 year old Rick Porcillo or you have to spend 200 plus million dollars on a David Price, and. It, if the one thing that, th- that this Red Sox team can do moving forward is put a precedent in and just be like, look, we need to develop pitching like that needs to be one of the number one factors. This organization does move forward because you're not going to be successful continuously throwing out money at-, at these type of players.
0: Yeah, and hopefully yeah, that hopefully that's something that Bloom can turn around with his pitcher development talents that he showed in Tampa Bay. And you know what? Too, I think the way that Bloom typically handles
2: uh, business and how he looks at things, I think that's probably the biggest hurdle. Uh, if you're pulling for John Lester to be back in 2021, if he will be willing to give, you know, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen million on a one-year deal to John Lester,
1: I don't see why you don't. Though, I mean, you just so. No, I agree with you. I do think you
2: you would do that. I would do that. I don't know if Bloom would do that. I mean, the only you could say Charlie Morton as an example, but Charlie Morton was throwing ninety eight. He was at the like he was pitching better than he had ever had in his old career, and they gave him a three year deal. So I don't know if that's gonna really be apples to apples with John Lester, who will be at the time he'll be thirty six. Uh, we'll see if he pitches this year. But if he can, if the trends continue, you're looking at you know mid fours to five ERA and 170 innings, which is what I love about him. But with the home runs going up and the stuff declining, that could be a signal for Bloom to stay away. That's I, like I said, I would do it if I was at the helm, but I don't know if Bloom will do it.
0: I don't know if I'd give him one year at 15. I might go two years at 15 or two years at 20. I don't know if I'd go more than a 10 yeah. million. Yeah, no, ABA. I would.
2: Yeah, I, I, would, I think the, I think you, if because they didn't sign porcillo at one year 10 million uh i think salary cap has a lot to do with that but that's kind of like your benchmark there so i I would agree 8 million seems about right uh maybe you go 10 if you want to kind of show you know extend that olive branch to lester and use that that good pub but uh with an analytical mind like bloom i don't see him going much over whatever his you know hard and fast line is
0: yeah and he's probably not going to get sentimental like this like us red sox fans are no,
1: no and, no, and I think that's a good thing. you know at the end of the day, you know what I mean like at least for me, you know, I can say that yeah, I'm a Red Sox fan, but I also can take that step back and try to look at it from a different lens and not let the Homer inside of me take over. Um, you know, when I when I did the piece with on Lester that that came out, when I was putting the you know the comparison to um, Charlie Morton, I did it in the respect of, you know, here again, Charlie Morin. here, a guy, here's a guy that just, he was never healthy. He was, he was a prospect when he came, when he came up that had a lot, a lot of hype. He was a, a pitcher that potentially could have been a, a two or a three starter, but was never, ever healthy. He constantly had some sort of injury bug that was nagging him. It wasn't until he kind of found new, uh, new big uh, mechanics. He kind of modeled himself off the late Roy Halladay. And in the last five years, With both the Astros and the Rays, he is just, he has reinvented himself as, I'm not saying he's a top 10 pitcher, but if I'm a championship team, I want a guy like, I want a guy like Charlie Morton taking the ball every fifth day. I want him to be my number three starter. It's a perfect fit for him in Tampa Bay. He he lives in that area. So that was that aligned for him. He gets to be home with his family and with his kids down in that area which is why he wasn't traded as well. This is a lot of uh, talk on whether he was going to get traded because that's something the Rays do. Maximize the, the the guy's value and maybe get something back for him. They have no intentions of moving him. He's a veteran and, 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 a, and a winner. That's what Lester is. That's what the Re- I, and Above it all, that's what the Red Sox need, I think, more than anything. They just need a guy who can be a leader, who can command the clubhouse, and I think that Lester will be able to do that. You know, there's still a lot of uncertainty in that Red Sox clubhouse. Who's the manager next year? You know what I mean? We we all joke and say uh, Cora twenty twenty one, but that's not a guarantee.
0: Well they've said you know? they've already said no.
2: Yeah, they've pretty much shut that down like seconds after our podcast that we did talking about it.
0: <laughs> As it always happens. News, you know news the, breaks uh, right after we record.
2: It always does. I can't wait to see what uh new you know what we're gonna find out what what that the when the baseball officially is coming back mere minutes after this podcast <laughs> is done. <recording. laughs> The thing I would want to bring up just real quick about Morton is Morton had – he was a spin rate god, and in, yep. in the analytical, analytical uh, day that we're in now, that is something that would intrigue a guy like Bloom. I don't know if Lester brings much of that to the table, and I just wonder how much Bloom is going to value like the, the grit and the leadership and the the history that he has with the franchise, a franchise that he's new to, so – you know i'm on board with him if he wants to interview the syndicate guys we'll tell
0: him why we think it's a good idea but you know i guess that remains to be seen for 2021 hi i contact us come on we'll talk about it we can pronounce your name right now so give us a call all right one more one more thing i just want to talk about quick before we get to the special feature that that we're teasing that we haven't told anybody yet what it is i want to talk about comments that scott boris made he did an op-ed piece in the new york times saying it's time for baseball to return, basically saying the country needs baseball at this point. Uh, He likened it to right after uh, September 11th and World War II when the country rallied around baseball. But he made a comment in an interview um, that I saw on the news tonight and really stuck in my craw. He said, these players are all young, they're in top physical shape, and I'm paraphrasing here. They're young, they're in top physical shape, you know They're not likely to catch the virus, and if they do, the symptoms will be light. Basically, he's just looking at the players. And we talked about this on the last podcast. It's not just the players. It's the umpires. It's the coaches. They're all in the high-risk demographic. So whatever opinion I had of Scott Boris took another few drops down after that because he's clearly looking after his own best interest because if the players aren't paying, uh, playing, He's not likely getting paid, so all he's caring about is his bottom line.
2: Oh, certainly, that's all he cares about is money. I mean, also the money that they'd lose this year from TV deals, uh, revenue, stuff like that, that would go against teams making mega signings next off season. So his clients next year wouldn't bring in the I don't know what was what was the number one point seven five billion dollars. Something crazy. That's what his clients brought in in the, this past offseason. So Boris is a money guy. All he cares about is money. Anything he says, I take it as a grain of salt. And I think it's just honestly, like you said, he, could he could my view of him get any lower? I don't know. Maybe I can go. Maybe he's a negative to me now. He's a negative uh, person in baseball. But he also he's wrong. He's just wrong. He was wrong about. He he made a statement early on in the uh, pandemic uh, that players it would be in the best interest of the players to stay with their spring training, uh, stay within their spring training facilities because they had the medical personnel, they'd be isolated from the masses, and not it was not even a week later that they would send everyone home, almost immediately. So this guy isn't, he's not, he doesn't have a pulse on what's going on with baseball and with the coronavirus, he just wants his, he just protects his pockets, so whatever, Scott Morris.
0: You know, there was uh, a great movie back in the 80s, I don't know if you guys have seen it, we talked about baseball movies a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, this wasn't a baseball movie, but it did star Charlie Sheen from Major League, so I'll make the connection that way. Um, it's called Wall Street, and it was about mm-hmm. an investment uh, investment banker um, back in the 80s, and he got into insider trading and got into a lot of mess. But uh, there was a line that Michael Douglas was his uh, he was kind of like a Donald Trump type developer. Gordon Gecko. Gordon Gecko, yes. And the line he said to him, I think it was they were on a beach or something, and he said, "How many yachts can you surf behind?" So that's what I'm gonna to say to Scott Boris. How many yachts can you surf behind? How much money do you need at this point? Seriously. Yeah,
2: I mean he's 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 just he's the Thanos of of sports agents. He just wants it all. He just wants to gobble it all up. We're, we're bringing all the
0: genre movies into this, aren't we?
2: Avengers <laughs> assemble.
0: We did it again. Podcasting <laughs> assemble. We did it again. All right. Podcasters assemble. Syndicate assemble. That's James. That's a T-shirt. Get get on that. <laughs> All right. Are we ready to move into our special topic? Special topic.
2: I think, I think we're ready to go. Let's do it. All right. Oh, so. real quick.
0: Actually, actually, real quick.
2: I'm <laughs> sorry, guys. I, I had to do. I had to do it. I'm happy for my man Alex Verdugo. He says 100 percent healthy at this point. It's gonna be in the Red Sox. The ball is in the Red Sox court. Whether they wanna. You know, play it slow or let him get right after it when the season starts. Uh, I'm, I'm happy that Alex Verdugo's on the team. I think he has a lot of potential, and I think he can really help out this lineup. So I'm happy he's healthy, and I'm ready for him to play this year if there's baseball. Okay, now we. Re- That's
0: it.
1: That's it. Now we can now go. We go. All, All right. right. Now we go. we're
0: good. Now we're good. All right. So That's nine, nine, nine.
1: Positive Matt. We got to get that. He's back. Where he's you know, I had getting to. back. The last podcast. it just. It
2: just wasn't me. Okay, I gotta get the positivity shining through these pores. Optimism you know, lot, coming out the nose.
1: The, the last few, you know what it is though, Matt. We just we need our spring training, and that's what we're we're doing right now. We're we're trying to get into regular season form here.
0: Absolutely. All right. So with no baseball to talk about, we've been kicking around. You know, we want to keep the podcast going. We want to get together and talk baseball, but uh, without games being played, sometimes that can be tough. So we've been kicking around some ideas of some other topics, some fun topics. We already did our favorite baseball movies, so we came up with uh, a topic of superstar players who played with the Red Sox towards the end of their career, and I'm talking about, you know, super, super superstar players, not a guy like, oh, I don't know, I'll throw out a Curt Schilling, who, you know, bounced around a while, came to the Red Sox, but still had very productive uh, stats and helped the Red Sox win two World Series, Uh, I'm talking about guys who had like Hall of Fame careers and then either finished out their career or came to the Red Sox at some point towards the end of their career. And just off the top of my head, I came up with nine players. And this goes this goes back to the, to the 70s, which is when I started watching baseball. But I have nine players on my list. And I think only one of them played more than three seasons with the Red Sox towards the end of his career. Uh, but my list comprises five Hall of Famers, and three of them were MVPs, They have 61 all-star appearances between them and seven Cy Youngs. So I'm going to save my list. I want to start with you guys. Who are some of the players that you want to talk about?
2: Um, I'd like to start because I played it a little loose with the term superstar, I guess. (laughs) So I'm just going to start. I'm going to start with an ultimate dud, but someone that I was very, very excited with uh, when they brought him in, even though it was at the end of his career, I thought he was going to help out the team. He had, to, he had an atrocious season with the Red Sox, and they had an atrocious year altogether. But my first guy is Javi Lopez, catcher.
0: Yeah, you did I play fast a... and loose with the term superstar.
2: I did. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, Javi Lopez was a, was one of the best catchers in baseball in his time. This guy had a 43-home run season. He had multiple seasons with 20 home runs, a 30-home run season. He had multiple 100-RBI seasons. Like For the catching position, he was very good. Uh, superstar, you know, maybe as being a former catcher, I labeled him as a superstar, uh, but, you know, he didn't win any awards. He's not going to the Hall of Fame. So, like I said, it's it's not – it doesn't have that uh, – that Jeunesse ne sais quoi is probably the names you'll read off, Bill. But when they brought him in, I was excited, and he
1: stunk. Yeah, he wasn't good. Um, I got to tell you, though, Matt, I was in the same – I was in that you know that, that same like excitement level for him because when they acquired him it was an August deal too. Um, I was excited for Javier Lopez, but I think the the fanboy in me at the time was kind of looking at what he did in Atlanta, and I was psyched when they got him. But wow, he was he wasn't good. He he, he just offensively he wasn't good. It was the only time I can use is like woof. he just yeah. wasn't good
2: <laughs> and he was on that 2006 train wreck of a season you know so it wasn't really great uh, but I mean at in his age 32 season he had 43 home runs 109 RBIs so it wasn't like that He it wasn't like he was at the very end of his career you know he was only a few years removed from a very productive season but when he came here it was just bleh I'm not even going to say mean, a word I'm using noise bleh he,
1: he didn't play after that either he played 18 games with the that Rams was it All right he hit, he had a buck 90, he drove in four RBI's, he struck out 16 times, and they just said, nope, we're good. We are good.
2: And you know um, what? He said, I'm good, because he just called it quits after that.
1: You know, and it's a shame, though, because, you know, he was a good catcher. He was, you know, he was consistently, you know, for, there's not a lot of, like, you know, whenever you think of, like, offensive catchers, there's not a lot of guys that come to mind. But Lopez is one of those guys in, you know, the, the late 90s, early 2000s that, you know, he was he was a good bat. And and you know what? I mean, we're going off of a nostalgia when, when you get him. Um, it was a shame that it didn't really work out. You know, what I mean, like if he could have given you like a 250 average, to just kind of get you through the rest of the season, that would have been just perfect. But, you know, Buck 90, 18 games, 12 hits.
2: I watched yes, one of those. I went to one of those games too, and it was. I'm going to use this noise again because I think it
0: just perfectly articulates him in a Red Sox uniform. <laughs> yeah. You know, I Bleh. I had totally forgotten that he ever played for the Red Sox to be honest with you. So. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I kind of wish I did. <laughs> you know, one uh, <laughs> one. Uh, you made me think of a kind. I wouldn't call him a superstar, but you remember when Jared Saltalamacchia first came up with the Rangers, and everybody yep. thought he was going to be the next big thing. And everybody wanted the Red Sox to get him. And then when they finally did, bleh. Uh, You know, Salty Salty Immacchio was the
2: focal point of a mark to share a trade. That's how high his prospect status was. Right, yes.
1: And I do remember playing many of video games in which if you were to do a franchise – Jared Saltalamacchia was one of the players you'd want to acquire because his rating in the game would, would escalate over the course of the time of having him. He was a power threat in video games. He was one of the catchers that I would always try to go out and get because if you were building a, a team and you were trying to be cost effective and having someone under your control, I always did. I I liked Salty. Um, I always, you know, I was happy when the Sox got him, and he just felt like he was a, it was just, he just felt like he was destined to be a Red Sox. Just a crazy long last name. The, the nickname the hair there was the backstory where you know he has like a wife that's like 13 years older than he is like he just like he just kind of fit in boston and thank god for david ross though when they had him because if salty was still playing with that in the world series the outcome might not have been you know what we saw when uh back in the 13. magic season yeah
0: i'm gonna do my joe castiglione imitation now at 14 letters Jared Saltalamacchia has the longest name of any major league player <laughs> Nails
2: I just remember, I always remember that silly you know Red Sox are always known for their uh, their silly PR moves and I remember they just wouldn't stop talking about his name wraps around like the whole back of his jersey and I was like oh cool great I don't know it did it did it was it really
1: did no it was, it was, yeah, it really
0: no, it was like that. a circle it was like a circle on his back. All right, well, we've gotten off the rails already, and we haven't even gotten into the list yet. That's what we do. All right, so I'm going to jump in with, with uh, one of the players on my list. Um, you guys remember Ricky Henderson playing with the Red Sox towards oh, the end of his career? I sure do. Oh, the Rick? Hall of Famer, ten-time All-Star, three-time Silver Slugger, played uh, his 43-year-old season with the Red Sox in 2002. Yeah, too. you know,
2: that? What well, I, I – I watched. I think we talked about this actually uh, when we did our movies. I in Moneyball they highlight the 2002 Oakland A's, and I watched it. So I started. Oh, what was on the Red Sox in 2002? And when I saw that Ricky Henderson was on the Red Sox in this sen- century, right? 2000. 2002. What? Yeah. So yeah, I mean that I could not believe how recent it was that Ricky Henderson not only played baseball but was in a Red Sox uniform.
1: Yeah, he um. He he didn't play a lot though. He only played in, you know, what was it like
0: seventy two games.
1: Yeah, Johnny Damon got hurt. He I know, you know, he replaced him a little bit there. But there was um did you know about the stat that happened that season though surrounding Ricky Henderson and the Red Sox and stolen bases? No. No, tell us. So going into the two thousand and one season, he had stolen more stolen bases in his career than the Boston Red Sox franchise. Wow. Um, he had stolen 1,395 bags. The Sox had 1,382. So just just to think about that, that one player in the course of his career had more than a franchise, one of the most storied franchises in all of baseball, just tells you exactly like how the Red Sox really prioritized base running and, and stolen bases and everything else. And I don't really think they still do.
0: No, and a lot of teams didn't through the 30s and 40s. You know, As soon as they got to the live ball era, everybody wanted to hit home runs. Prior to Babe Ruth in the turn of the century and, and uh, the, the teens and the 20s, stolen bases were you know, big thing because you couldn't hit the ball out of the park, so you had to play a little more small ball and manufacture runs. But as soon as guys started swatting the ball out of the park, that kind of died off. It came back uh, probably like in the 60s, and I think for the longest time, Maury Wills held – the uh, season record for stolen bases with something like fifty two. Hmm. So and then Henderson was coming in there and he was going over a hundred year after year. I think his I think yeah, his, his high his... was one hundred eighteen, something like that. No, he had hundred and thirty stolen okay. bags. Okay. Season. Yeah, I know I know he went well over a hundred.
2: It's his stolen base like his stolen base acumen is insane. When you look at his baseball
0: reference page, the stolen bags they pop in, in an insane way. Would you say he was the greatest leadoff hitter of all time? Oh yeah,
2: he yeah he yeah I, yeah. I would say so. He I, yeah up until recently, until like you know the, the the three three true outcome you know approach from all batters in the lineup, he had the most leadoff home runs. So he showed power when he needed to. He stole bags. He put you know he was he was dynamite. He was absolutely dynamite. Yeah, hit
0: 297 home runs in his career.
2: He also has hilarious stories. I remember in college we found some website. Someone did like a blog post of the best Ricky Henderson stories, and I'm going to share one with you if you don't mind. Please do. There was – so Ricky Henderson, I believe when he went to the Mets, I think it was the Mets. I might get this wrong. I might get the teams wrong. But anyway, he shows up in the locker room, and he sees a guy with a helmet on, and he goes, who's that guy with the helmet? He go, they go, oh, that's John Olerud. And he, so he walks up to John Olerud and goes, hey, John, my name is Ricky Henderson. And John Olerud goes, Ricky, I know. I played with you before. <laughs> Ricky Henderson was just – he had no idea he played with this guy. <laughs> he had played with him, I think, on Toronto earlier in his season or something, early in his career or something like that. It was just,
0: oh, the Rick. I used to love the way he'd catch fly balls. He'd come in and he'd just, like, stand there. And when the ball when the ball got to – just hit his glove, he'd, like, snatch it out of the way. You remember
2: that? He started the snap.
0: Yeah, snap yeah. snap. People do that in softball like crazy. Yeah. It's like disrespectful, like
2: snapping it right out of yeah. the air. Well,
0: actually, Dave Parker started that with the Pirates in the 70s. He, he used Dave to Parker. snap down, but Henderson used to snap off to the side. Yeah. All right. Uh, Chris, do you have a player you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, back in uh, 2009, well, the 2008 offseason, Red Sox signed John Smoltz. Oh. You guys remember when they signed Smoltz? Yes, yes. Good one. Uh,
0: yeah. Good one. not on my list. Good call.
1: So Smoltz signed a one-year, $5.5 million deal, uh, had incentives. I think it would take it like around like $10, $11 million. He was, he was coming off of an injury. He had season-ending uh, shoulder surgery the previous year. So the Red Sox got some value. From a money standpoint, they got value and John Smoltz, he was an absolute dumpster fire for the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. He was 2-5. and five, He pitched eight games. He had an 8.32 ERA, and I will never forget watching the game on NESN when they played the Nationals, and he was just getting lit up in that game. The Red Sox DFA'd him, and he actually he didn't really finish the year that badly. He ended up getting DFA'd with the Sox. He ended up going to the Cardinals, to finish out the remainder of the season. Obviously, that was his last team that he played for at his age 42 year. He went one and three with the cards with a 4.26 ERA, but he was just bad for Boston. And probably a guy that, yeah, you take a flyer on, but why not throw him in the bullpen? You know, why not, you know, here's a guy coming off of shoulder surgery. He's 41 years old, going to be 42. If you want to see what he's got left, but bring him in and put him in the pen. You know, get 50 good potential, you know, uh, relief innings out of him at, at that money. You know, I just I kind of feel like they mismanaged that. You know, again, a byproduct, though, of a Red Sox team who couldn't develop pitching.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he had been a closer for a long stretch of his career when he was with the Braves. Was both a starter and a closer. So he had the experience right. of the bullpen.
1: And there's just a lot of guys, especially those aging, older players, you know, and I know it's probably easier for me to say this as I'm sitting on the couch. Like, at some point, you need to kind of realize the type of player that you are. But if you want to get longevity out of your career, why not go into the bullpen? If, if you still think you have it and teams think you have it, you know, you may not be suited to go every fifth day. There's nothing wrong with being a reliever. There are guys who are relievers who are going to make, who are going to make a lot of money in their career by – going out, throwing 70 games a year. And if you got a power arm and you're consistent out of the bullpen, you're going to make a ton of money. John Smoltz would have made so much sense to be in the bullpen for that Red Sox team. But I also, I blame it on the jerseys. That was when the Red Sox had those like really hideous, like road jerseys they changed to that weird gray with the blue lettering. I feel mm-hmm. like every year that they had those jerseys, their teams just sucked on the road. And that's my lasting image of John Smoltz in that jersey they you know, playing against the Nationals, and he just got hit around the park.
2: Yeah, I mean, you said it all. He was one of those guys. He had a little bit of, you know, excitement when he came in. He just, I mean, we can use the noise again, boys. Blah. He was
0: blah.
1: We <laughs> need like a sound thing to kind of like put in there, like. Every time. It's like a... Actually, I think there is one in the program
0: we use to edit this, so I'll have to look to see if I can figure it out.
1: Well, like the the Price is Right, like Fail yeah. Horn. Boom, boom, boom,
0: boom.
1: <laughs>
0: All right, Matt, we're back to you. You got another player?
2: uh I do, and once again, I'm going to stick to the same, you know, same type of vibe that we've been on. And a guy who came to the Red Sox who had some clout, but he stunk while he's on the Red Sox, and I'm going to go with. David Wells, Boomer. Ooh, Big Boomer. Another one I didn't think of. You I mean,
1: really this... thought that he sucked, though? You really didn't he think He didn't
2: that? suck completely. He had a decent year with 15 wins. But, I mean, he was only there for, what, a two a year and a half, he wasn't great his second year, and I just remember, maybe I'm wrong, but I just remember just bad energy coming off of him. I just remember, you know, the fans didn't like him. Uh, it was just he wasn't really part of any kind of success here. I just remember it being, again, he was on that 2006 train wreck of a season. You know, I, I think it overall was a failure here. Like I said, he was a 15-game winner, but he also had a 4-5 ERA that year. So it wasn't like he was spectacular. He just won games.
1: Well, I, you know, when it comes to David Wells, because I actually, I may or may not have something. It's not on the blogger yet. I have some stuff that's saved on my computer here. But um, I was working on something about David Wells because I thought it'd be a, a cool story. David Wells, if you think about, he was one of the guys that the Red Sox brought in along with Matt Clement in the offseason after the Red Sox let Pedro Martinez and Derek Lowe go. So from a fan standpoint, you just won the World Series. You weren't gonna go and invest the money in Pedro Martinez, which proved to be the right decision. And you let David and you let Derek Lowe go, which from a money standpoint probably proved to be the right decision. But you you replaced him with a David Wells, who had some injury. However, though he was 15 and 7 in one of the years he was there, but he really wanted to be on the West Coast. You know what I mean? Like he wanted to pitch on the West Coast. You know, he signed with the Red Sox. remember he wore, like, number three when he first came to the yep. Sox in, in, in honor to David, uh, to, to Babe Ruth, and he just got off to a bad start. It just, it felt like a bad vibe all along, but he, the thought process of bringing him in made sense. Because if you're going to go ahead and try to replace the production of a Derek Lowe from a, from a stat standpoint with a David Wells, you did do that. However, to your point, Matt, it just felt like sour grapes. It just felt like he just wasn't a really good fit for the actual Red Sox. And then on top of that, you bring in Matt Clement, who, again, the thought process was right because he pitched pretty well with the Cubs, all things considered. He was meant to replace Derek Lowe, but that was another train wreck on top of that. So Theo kind of went 0-2 in that offseason.
0: You know, the Red Sox kind of went through cycles uh, with their marquee pitchers because after they let Clements go, they had a really down year. And that led to them acquiring Pedro the next year. And then they did the same thing as, as you mentioned. After letting Pedro go, they had that down year, and then they went out and made the Josh Beckett trade. So then they let right. Lester
1: go, and they bring in David Price. Exactly, exactly. The
0: but the, but there's always that train wreck season in between when they try to you yeah. know, they try to bring in somebody else to fill that void, and it just never works.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean it. Also, David Wells is only like a couple years removed from being on the Yankees, and that always comes across like it kind of like, oh, it's kind of gross. So I just, you know, I wasn't happy with the signing personally when it happened. And looking back on it, I'm actually, you know, a little shocked that he had a 15 win season for the Red Sox because he was over four years old. When he did that, so that's, I mean, that is decently impressive. He threw, like, almost 190 innings, but overall, not happy. I was not really a big fan of the signing. I wasn't a big fan of seeing Boomer in a Red Sox uniform pretty much at all.
0: Yeah, you're right. He was just so equated with the Yankees, pitched a perfect game when he was with the Yankees, allegedly (laughs) horribly hungover when he did it, and allegedly wearing a Babe Ruth hat. It It was actually a hat that Babe Ruth had worn that he actually wore. I don't know if it was his perfect game, or at some point he wore, like, he paid... A hundred thousand dollars to acquire the hat, and he actually wore it to pitch in a game.
1: I always liked David Wells. To me, he was just kind of like that guy that just gave like he just had zero like zero f's. Like he just didn't care, you know. He just he just felt like he's the kind of guy that if you had him in the right mental state, he's the kind of guy you want on your team. You know what I mean? Like kind of like if you think about like the Bruins, right? You got Brad Marchand, hated across the league. Fans hate Brad Marchand. He's loved here. He's that type of guy that if he's on your team, like, you want that kind of guy on your team. He, he fit the Yankees vibe really well. It just didn't fit well here in Boston because it's a, it's a... While it's the same kind of machine, it's just a different thought process, different mindset, where we scrutinize everything because we're not, at the time, accustomed to winning. So... And even now, too, like, you can have an outstanding Red Sox team. It's always going to be what's the doom and gloom we can talk about because that's what's going to go ahead and, and sell more, you know, newspapers, get more clicks to websites, get more clicks to podcasts versus, like, hey, the Red Sox got a really good team. I always liked Wells. I thought he – I loved it when they got him. But, again, it was more of the name recognition. It just didn't work out.
0: Yeah, and he, he Boys, always just Bill, looked so Bill. sloppy in that uniform, too. I mean, when he was with the Yankees, he was wearing he pinstripes. You know, pinstripes can be slimming as, as a portly man myself. I can appreciate that, but yeah, he always, he just looked like a mess out on the mound. Bill,
2: you're going to wait, he wore a hat, he wore a magical
0: Babe Ruth hat? I didn't say it was magical.
2: It had to be magical if it led to a, a perfect well, not, game. Not, How I would might he be, getting, to I might be PEDs? getting my
0: facts mixed up there. I'm not, I know he, he threw the perfect game. He was hungover. People will get
2: in trouble for using pine tar on their wrists. This guy used the magic hat, and he didn't get, he didn't get popped for this? Uh, apparently not. <laughs> Well, it's pretty, honestly, that's a pretty crazy move to spend $100,000 on a collectible hat, a hat that it should be, like, your number one collectible. And he's like, I'm going to
0: wear it. It's my like, gamer. That's something you put in a case somewhere, and and you put a spotlight on it for people to see. You don't wear it at a yeah. game and get it all sweated up. Of course, Because now it,
2: it it's not it's not Babe Ruth's hat anymore. It's your well, hat. the
0: Babe probably played a lot of games in it hungover, too, so maybe it, it was oh, a true homage. That hat.
2: There's a lot of hot dog sweat in that hat, no doubt.
0: <laughs> hot Gross. dogs and bourbon.
2: Hot dogs, bourbon, and beer, baby.
1: Maybe that's why you fit fitted with the socks, chicken and beer. Yeah.
0: All right, I'm gonna, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go off the off the beaten path with my next pick because I think it's back to my turn. Um, I wouldn't exactly call this guy a superstar, but he was certainly a mega personality, and he didn't really play for the Red Sox towards the end of his career either. But I'm gonna go with Jose Canseco. But my next pick. Love it.
1: Love it. You love
0: Jose. Chris. You love Jose.
1: Jose Canseco, guys, was my favorite player as a kid. Two reasons why. He could just mash a baseball and he wore number 33. Number 33 is my number. When I played baseball in high school, I wore 33. Um, Just like I love the number 33. Uh, You know, it just it's love it. I got to go to a Red Sox game against the Braves. I got to see Canseco hit one out into the right field bleachers. I just, like, it just, it's nuts that this guy is a psychopath now, and he's just completely, you want to talk about going off the rails. And
0: one of the poster childs for the steroid era also.
1: Oh, yeah. And the ultimate
2: snitch of the steroid era.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, they all all did the, they all had their, their hand in the PEDs. But, you know, he was a good fit though, because the Red Sox, when they got him, they they desperately needed some some additional offense to their to their lineup. They had move Vaughn. They needed a right-handed bat. The previous to them getting Conseco, they were they had the arrangement where they were going to bring in Sammy Sosa. Which which if you go on to Boston Sports Syndicate's website, you can find how Sammy Sosa became a Red Sox. So they had the Sammy Sosa piece in play. Unfortunately, the labor agreement didn't allow that to happen so they went out they bring in a conseco he played two years in boston they had kevin kennedy who was the manager when he was with texas it all kind of like felt like it aligned it all felt like it kind of made sense but again just wasn't a good fit in boston it just really wasn't a good fit he made like four and a half to six and a half million dollars which was like at the time like a ton of cash you know the thought that you could have conseco at that that price point um i loved it i even now like I would get a Conseco jersey. Like, I am still Team Jose Conseco.
0: You know, when I first started thinking about it, I thought he probably came to the Red Sox when he was, like, 34, 35. He played when he was 30, 31. Wow. He was still in his prime yep. when he came to the Red Sox. And he put up decent numbers. He had 298 uh, with 52 home runs and 163 RBIs in two years. That's, that's not too shabby. And had a 960 OPS. He had some productive years.
1: Yeah, the, um, the the Red Sox, if I remember correctly, I think they they traded Otis Nixon to get him.
0: Otis, my man.
1: I think Otis they traded – I'm pretty positive they traded Otis Nixon to get him. And I know for a fact that when they traded him to the Oakland Athletics, they got John Wozniak back. So Way back. To, <laughs> so for a guy that hit a ton of bombs, they got him for a guy that gave up a ton of bombs. So it all kind of averaged out with the Red Sox there. Way back was then.
2: Way back was then. Jose, big move. You know, Chris, you better watch out. Call him a psychopath. He will challenge you to a celebrity boxing match.
1: Look, I, I have tweeted at him and I have invited him on the Red Sox podcast to be named later. He doesn't want to seem to answer those back. Um, from what I was looking into, he would prefer some sort of monetary uh, agreement to do anything with anybody. So. But if Jose would ever like to come on to the Red Sox podcast we name later to talk about baseball and whatever is going on in his brain, by all means, we will set aside an hour for whatever he would like to talk about. Because I'm going to tell you what, it would probably be the greatest hour in podcast history.
2: We should have him come on right before they drop that uh, Big Mac versus Sammy Sosa 30 for 30 that's coming out in June. And having been one of the Bash brothers, maybe he would have some good insight to what the Big Mac was thinking, you know, when he played for St. Louis.
1: You know, kudos to um, to ESPN because they have some quality content that is that's coming out. Between that, you ha- you know, obviously we got the um, Last Dance right now. Then you have the Conseco, I mean the the Sosa and Maguire. They got a lot of really good stuff coming out.
0: <clears throat> yeah, and we could probably get Jose at least a T-shirt and a hat. I'm sure we got some of that laying around in our merch store.
1: If not, give him a pen.
0: Oh, that oh, I still got plenty of pens. Yeah. Those pens
2: are great. I still use those pens. I love those pens.
1: You, know, still haven't you know, gotten a Let's pen.
2: not give them one of those pens. I'd,
0: I'd rather save those for us.
1: Still haven't gotten a pen.
0: I'll get you one next time you come into the <laughs> Syndicate, hopefully soon.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, All maybe. right,
0: Chris, you have any more players on your list?
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, I kind of want to go with the same theme of uh, former Yankee now uh, that came to the Red Sox. How about David Cohn?
0: Yes. Oh, my David, God.
1: David I have Cohen, him on my list. The Sox, 38 years old. He uh he pitched relatively well in 01, in, in 9 and 7, coming off a year where he was 4 and 14 with a 6.91 ERA with the Yankees. Um same thing though, didn't really look quite right in a Red Sox uniform. You know, especially after pitching all those years in New York. He had a twenty game winning season with the Yankees. Um excuse me, but um the, the only main like thing that I kind of remember with uh, David Cohn is you remember when the Sox and the Yankees, they played that year and Mike Mussina was about to throw that perfect game and Carl Everett had that little blue pit to break that up. With two outs in the ninth. You guys remember that? So that's really, in David Cohn pitched that game um, against Mussina. So that's for me, one of the memories that I have of David Cohn, um, you know, just Again, the thought process of bringing him in made sense. Um, you know, just thank God for Carl Everett.
2: <laughs> oh, I loved Carl Everett. I'm not going to a psychopath.
1: Carl Everett for Adam Everett. What a trade.
2: Ca- Carl, I don't believe in dinosaurs Everett.
1: Uh, he would be good for the podcast, too.
2: Yo, come on. Oh, my God. Let's get all the crazies.
0: All hey, right, Matt, do you have another player? <laughs>
2: uh, I, I... I don't have any more players that finished their career with the Red Sox, but
0: I do want, since we are known to go off the rails. Didn't have to be finished uh, their I career, had, just just at some point towards the end of their career.
2: I Well, let me go with a quick one, because it's just someone that I personally loved when he was on the Red Sox, but he wasn't a superstar, and he didn't really, again, wasn't great in the Red Sox uniform, but I did love him, was Dante Bichette. Oh, yes. Man, yes. I love Dante Bichette. Yep. I love Bichette. I love him smashing balls off the Coke bottles. I love Bichette. But I'm going to change up just a little bit in the sake of going off the rails, which we are known to do. I'm going to say a guy I wish finished his career on the Boston Red Sox. And I'm talking about the hit dog, Mo Vaughn. I loved Mo Vaughn. when he had his MVP season in '95. Where he had 126 ribbies, 39 home runs. I loved his batting stance. I remember when I was a little kid, we went to go see a Boston Red Sox versus the Texas Rangers. Uh, Juan Gonzalez if you can remember him hit a oh, home I run a go ahead home run they took the lead the rangers took the lead and the crime dog came i mean the hit dog came up at the end of the game and hit a grand slam that ended up being the game winning runs and i just, i always loved move i went to his hitting camp back when i was a kid i loved the hit dog and i wish he never left to go play for the disney angels
0: and one <laughs> of the most hideous <laughs> uniforms in major league history with those angels <laughs> they're not not great bill no not great bob
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it was. It's kind of unfortunate, though, the way that it kind of ended with Vaughn. You know, remember the? Um, it was like towards the end of the season, they were playing the Orioles, and there was people like heckling them in the crowd because the Red Sox offered him money and a contract, and it just it wasn't enough. I remember watching on NESN, and there was there was showing like the crowd and people were holding signs about with uh, with Vaughn. He ended up leaving. It was six years, eighty million dollars to go to the Angels, and it was actually like pretty quick too. it was like he hit free agency and he was gone and you know the red sox kind of had an idea that you know obviously he wasn't going to come back they turned their attention to bernie williams who the yankees had turned their attention to albert bell bernie williams almost became a red sox but he you know kind of like and i respect what he did you know go back to the team that had you and hey this is the offer you know and kind of i feel like what happened with brady and Crash saying like hey this is what it's probably going to look like um and he ended up staying with, with the Yankees. And in the grand scheme of things, it's probably the right thing that the Red Sox didn't sign Bernie Williams because they took that money. And after they traded for Pedro Martinez, they signed Martinez to that extension. And obviously, the, the Pedro piece was the most dominant pitcher in arguably Red Sox history. So, but it, it just was kind of the way that it ended. It just was, um, I don't know, just wasn't, you know, it kind of stinks the way that it kind of ended. You know, because that season that started off with that walk-off grand slam against the Mariners <clears> – <throat> You know, that 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 blast he into right field. But he also had some like run ins too. you know, he had the nightclub issue um, where he apparently punched a guy outside the nightclub. Oh, you don't and, want to get punched and, by
0: a man that big.
1: Well, I don't want to get punched by anybody in general, but let alone a man of that size. Um, he also had you know, a and then, and then he, he also had, had
0: a car accident one night. He was notorious for going yeah, to come, uh, an establishment in Rhode Island known as the Foxy Lady.
1: And yeah, he got he got in a pretty serious
0: yeah. car accident. Fortunately didn't mm-hmm. get hurt. But um, you know, driving back up ninety five afterwards, late at night or early in the morning as the case may be. Yeah, the Red Sox were always concerned about his weight too. They saw him being another yeah. potential Cecil fielder, if you remember him, Prince's father. He was another big yeah, man and, and that, they I saw Vaughn trending in that same way. So they were leery they to were give him right, the big though. contract. Yeah, you, you know, I just I just called it up on Baseball Reference. He only played four more seasons after he left the Red Sox.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. I, they I'm, they did the right thing. I just did. like I loved him. I thought that I just like I like Mo Vaughn. And back when he was the you know their best hitter, they were the lovable losers of the baseball world. And I I just always remember that batting stance. And if you play MLB the Show, uh, the video game, if you play their Diamond Dynasty mode, that's a card that I would love to have. The big Mo Vaughn card.
1: Hey, do you uh do you guys recall the free agent they signed that off season?
0: The Red Sox? Because Ose, Jose oh, yeah, Offerman. They didn't
1: get Albert Bell. Oh God, what a what you wanna talk about a dumpster fire?
0: And Dan Duquette oh my Dan God. Duquette actually came out and said we brought him in to replace Vaughn's productivity. Or something along those yeah. lines. In other words, he's he was what gonna hit joke. as well as Mo Vaughn.
1: Yeah, he the dude never cracked a, I don't think he had a double digit home run season in his major league career. I'm gonna look that up.
0: Yeah, and he didn't really have a position either. Crazy. He played second base, and he had absolutely no range. No I range. I think they ended up moving him to first, only... if I recall correctly. The
2: Chris Roddick, was... he had no double-digit home run seasons. Yeah. Zero. That's an that's impressive impressive in and of itself.
1: Like, come on, Dan Duquette did a lot of right things, and from a money aspect of it too. Like, I think it was like twenty-four million dollars that he signed off for. And I just remember like seeing it come across ESPN and just the one thing I always loved really quick was at the time, like the internet wasn't what it was. Whenever you got your like free agent news, it was on ESPN and it was just like seeing like the new player on the Red Sox with like the hat put on top of him on ESPN was like just a, an adrenaline rush. And then I see Jose Offerman on of the screen. I'm like, come on, like really, like you're gonna invest that kind of money, all that hype, move on, leaves. Bernie Williams, this, Albert Bell, that. Nope, move on. Nope, we're not gonna bring him back. We're gonna bring Jose Offerman. Thank you.
0: I'm just looking this up quick. Was that a connection from? No, it wasn't. Never mind. I thought that was somebody uh, Duquette brought in from Montreal, from from his tenure there. But he never played in Montreal, so forget I ever said that.
1: And then, then you get the phantom tag. I how about you know, guys remember that too in the ALCS when Knoblock went to go and tag him and and uh, Tim Sheeta called him out, but he was nowhere even near Jose Offerman. They got that call wrong. It was the only time that I had any sympathy for Jose Offerman. And then, <laughs> then how about too when like Jose Offerman too in the he was what playing I think independent baseball for like the something Ducks and he, left, he lost it on yeah like he, he lost it on a minor league player. He got charged criminally. Duquette had a knack for bringing in just, like, the psychos, you know, Conseco, Offerman, Will Cordero. Like, he just had the knack of just bringing in, like, some of these, like, wild cards, and they just never worked out.
0: You know, back to Mo Vaughn, one, one of the things that I always think of with him is for years, even after he left the Red Sox, EEI would play the clip of him saying, it's not about the money, it's about respect. And how do you get respect? You no. get paid the money. Because <laughs> that they that is money. how they keep score. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna uh, throw another pitcher out there, kind of along the same uh, the same lines as David Cohen. I'm gonna throw a Brett Saberhagen.
1: There's I had him. He was queued up. He was in the queue. Yeah, I um, yeah, Saberhagen. Looking at his numbers and things like that, like, you know, he won, what, 26 games in Boston?
0: Yeah, over four seasons.
1: That, you know, you know, I remember him hurt, but I do remember that he gutted it out in the playoffs. Remember against the Indians? Like, he gutted it out. Um, yeah, by the
0: time he came to the Red Sox, he had nothing left. You guys probably don't remember him in his heyday these. with the Royals. I mean, this guy won three, uh, he won two Cy Youngs. Three, three-time All-Star yep. and he was a World Series MVP with the Royals. And he was yep. one of the best pitchers in baseball for a while. By the time he came to the Red Sox, he had very little left. He was pitching all on on guile at that point. Yep. No thoughts on Saberhagen, Matt. <laughs> no, you guys Throw, it all. throwing you I right mean, under the, the table. Remember him?
2: I don't remember him all like too thoroughly. I just remember kind of when he came in like you said he had nothing left and i I don't know why it's it's kidding me when i think of this uh i just i remember his wife being a big part of like the red sox community that's all i can remember of him in a red sox uniform and i don't even know if that's true that's just what's coming to my head right now that'll work (laughs)
1: all right chris who he did win the uh he did win the tony canigliaro award though and the Sports, uh, the Sporting News Comeback Player of the Year for the year, I think it was for 98, as I'm reading now. So it wasn't an, 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 like a complete like bust with the Sox, but it was some success. It just it feels like the memory of him is more of the fact that there was just more injury clouded, nothing left in the tank. He did, you know, in, in 98, he did pitch 31 starts. He was 15 and 8, 3.96 ERA. 99 22 starts 2.95 eras so like the numbers weren't bad I, you know there was definitely duquette was kind of onto something with with him he you know it kind of felt like he got as much as he could you know whatever whatever gas is left in that tank he got it out of Saber-Hagen.
0: yeah missed the entire 2000 season came back and pitched an 0-1 to finish out his career all right chris uh, do you have any more on your list
1: yeah, I'm gonna go with one that I was really disappointed by because this one should have been should have been the slam dunk. This one should have been the the name recognition should have uh, kind of aligned the thought process that Theo Epstein had made sense, but when they acquired Eric Gagne, it was such a need that they needed for that bullpen. He was a setup guy for Jonathan Papelbon and. You want to talk about just like dumpster fire? That was just that was just a bad acquisition by Theo Epstein. Two and two, six point seven five ERA, twenty games, just just a bad 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 pickup.
0: He couldn't adjust to the setup role. He had been a closer with Texas, right. and prior to, and he prior was to good that with, with the Texas. Dodgers, but he just could not adapt to that setup role. And that's that mindset that closers and, have. I mean, how many times would you see a closer come in if it's not a safe situation, they end up giving up one or two, three runs.
1: Yeah. You yeah. know, you didn't give up, a, the Sox didn't give up a lot for him. In, in the grand scheme of things, they gave up Casey Gabbard, who at the time pitched well, but wasn't really a, you know, he wasn't a prospect that, oh, I need to have Case and Gabbard. Uh, David Murphy. There was really no role for him on the roster. Yeah, who and had a serviceable major league career. He did, but I mean, if you're going to tell me that I could get Eric Gagne, one of the best closers in baseball, you know, at the time, I'm gonna I'm gonna trade those players. I'm gonna do what Theo did. The thought process was right. The the I remember watching baseball tonight and the trade the deadline special, and there was just a lot of like Red Sox got it right with this guy, but they got it completely wrong. <laughs> he just you know the fact that like. He almost didn't make the playoff roster. You know, like, it just, um, I mean, yeah, they ended up winning the World Series that year, but it really wasn't because Eric Gagne had anything to do with that. Eric Gagne was, that was just a bad, bad pickup. Yeah, I think
0: we can go back to bleh with that one. You could yeah.
1: play the, the, yep. bum, 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 bum. <laughs> <laughs> just keep it on that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right, Matt, do you have any more? I've, I've got a few more guys, but I think uh, some of them were definitely played before you were born, so maybe I'll hold off on those. But I, I do have
2: uh no, you know, no, go ahead, drop some, because my list has been has been ex- exhausted by
0: at this point. All right, I'll just go with uh, – I have a couple of Hall of Famers that are on the list, uh, one being Andre Dawson. Had great career yep. with the uh, yep. Expos and the Cubs. By the time he got to the Red Sox, he was 38. His knees were gone, could hardly run, played a serviceable right field for him for a couple of years, but was just a shell of his former self.
2: Yeah, you want to talk about being jacked before being jacked was cool, that's Andre Dawson.
0: Yeah, he actually won an MVP with the Cubs when they came in in last place. That's That's how dominant a player he he was.
2: Yeah, he had 49 home runs in, in, in 1987, that's... I mean, in 87, that's pretty good. 49 home runs, 137 ribbies. The guy definitely can hit. Uh, but, yeah, by the time they got him, you know, this is I, – I was five years old when it happened, so I don't remember. But, uh, you know, I can imagine it being one of those things where you're excited that he's coming in, and uh, he just doesn't perform to what you believe uh, his standards are. I mean, he had 22 home runs the year before he came to Boston, and then he only hit a combined 29 home runs while he was here and if you guys haven't picked up on my cadence yet, i'm just reading
0: for a baseball reference <laughs> that's fine that's absolutely <laughs> fine uh you can also feel that he had eight gold gloves in his career so he, he, yeah he he was a good ball player for sure the uh, expos just had a filthy outfield in in the uh late 80s early 90s they were such a good team should have won a world series they got um Jobbed when uh, baseball was uh, had the strike shortened season. Yeah, they that, they were on their way yeah, to winning a World Series. Had that happened, they could still be in Montreal today. Although right. that was a horrendous stadium Instead, that they played in. It, it,
2: it was like it might, was it was Tropicana before Tropicana.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they might they might split time with Tampa Bay. Ooh, I full think circle. Just, I think that that's just crazy.
0: All right, I have one more name on my list, but uh, Chris, if you have any left, I'll let you go first.
1: No, I'm gonna I'll go with it. Let's see what we
0: got. All right. Have you guys heard of Tom Seaver? Yes. Yeah. Uh, made his heyday with the Mets yeah. back in the uh, 70s. He was on the uh, 70, was it the actually he was in the 60s and 70s. He was on the amazing Mets in '69, and uh, was also with the '73 World Series team. Then he went to the Reds. Came to the Red Sox. He was 41 years old. They made a trade for him midway through the '86 season. When they were on their way to the to that '86 World Series, and we all know how that turned out. Um, they traded.
2: How how did '86? Out? I don't, really, I don't
0: I, seem to not remember this in my Red Sox memory. I think it's they made a good run at it. '86 it fell, was their baseball it fell just short, as I recall. They, did
2: they? I mean, I I thought they stopped baseball at you. I thought that year didn't. Oh, I right, Whatever. could
0: do a whole podcast just on my recollection of that World Series, because I'll tell you, it's everything you thought it was, and ten times more. To see what happened in that World Series, but I digress. We'll save that for later. So see, interesting. So, I'm looking at Tom Seaver's baseball reference page because, uh, you know, I'm not
2: too familiar with. I know he was a great pitcher, uh, but I'm not too familiar with exactly how great a pitch. You know, the amount of innings they threw back then is staggering. It's it's sta- yeah, that's a perfect yeah. way to put it. It's staggering. It's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, just a different age, entirely different age, different mind. And they, 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 they back then they had four-man rotations. Mm. Crazy. They get
2: north of two hundred fifty innings, almost three hundred innings, and maintaining a like a mid to low twos ERA, throwing that many innings. That's it's incredible.
0: Yeah. Traded for Steve exactly. Lyons Exactly, who was a rookie. He was in his rookie season.
2: Steve Lyons that does baseball games for Red Sox, Steve Yeah, That's what? Steve Lyons. Oh,
0: yeah. So Steve was with the Red Sox, uh, was with the White Sox at that point. And uh, they made the deal to pick him up, I think it was right before the trade deadline. He ended up going 5-7 and seven with a 3.8 ERA over the rest of that season. But he hurt his knee and couldn't pitch in the, po- in the postseason. So maybe they would have won that World Series if Mr. Siva was around. Who knows? We will never know. As Dennis Eckersley says, we'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> All right, guys, you got any more? Or can, or should we wrap this up? I'm out of names.
1: Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm sure that if we could probably go even longer and talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly with some of these players.
0: Well, I still had guys on here by the name of Jack Clark, if you remember him.
1: I do remember Jack Clark. Good call. I remember him, yeah.
0: Juan Marichal. He played. Orlando yep. Cepeda. Do you know what trivia answer he is? Who was the first DH in Red Sox history?
2: Oh. Orlando okay. Cepeda. Okay. That's gonna come in handy one night. You and I do, you know, trivia night at like 99s or something. They, that's gonna come up, but I'm gonna nail it. Thanks, Bill. <laughs>
0: anytime, anytime.
1: Look, if you if you want one more for trivia night, so for the people who will be listening to this podcast, this actually goes for the Boston Bruins. If you want a trivia answer, if the question is ever posed of who is the first player to score a goal at the Fleet Center. The first ever goal in that new building, you guys know who that was? No clue. Sandy Moger.
2: Oh, Sandy Moger was at the tip of my tongue.
1: First ever player who's on the Bruins scored the first ever goal in that arena. So if you ever are at a trivia and that question comes out there, write it down, fire it to the front, you got your points. Six points. Bam. max points. All right. I sometimes have that random wealth of knowledge. The only time, and this is, we want to go off the rails for a quick second. There was one time I was doing trivia and one of the questions was, who was the state of Maryland named after? And I remember it because I had taken, it was like one of the few honors classes I took. It was a history honors. And the state of Maryland was named after this woman named Henrietta Maria. And I was like, holy, cro-. like, I just like, it came to me out of nowhere. Like back when I was like in high school, wrote that thing down, got the points for it. My buddy's like, how did you know that? I'm like, I- just, I had a teacher. We used to play history jeopardy. We used to do like these random things where we were all like a different state in the colonies. And I had Merlin one time and I just always remember that. So Sandy Moga, Henrietta Maria, if you ever get those questions, you can thank me. Those are, those are two quick answers. Oh, cool. all right. I go.
0: I already wrote it down. I'm not even kidding. I wrote it down. I got down. one more, seeing we're on to useless trivia. And I don't know if this is still true, but it was for a long, long time. Who was the only switch hitter to win a Most Valuable Player Award? Hmm. Mickey Mantle? Nope. Never won one. Eddie Murray? He may have won one, but this was prior to that. Chipper Jones? It's kind of a trick question.
2: Never. There's never been
0: one. Vita Blue?
2: Okay. Vital Blue is a switch hitter.
0: Wow. A left-handed throwing switch hitter. Something else that's pretty rare. Yeah, That is, okay, cool. And he was a pitcher. He was a pitcher, right. That's why it's kind of a trick question. So that's interesting. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Actually, you got me me thinking about Mickey Mantle now. You guys talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to look it up. Bill, look it up.
2: (laughs) Have you guys watched the, uh, Chris, have you watched any of the KBO?
1: I, I did. I, um, so I, I got to be honest with you. I can't be – I can't stay up that late. I mean I can. Um, I haven't. I'm actually trying to condition myself to get ready for normalcy because unfortunately my furlough will be coming to an end. And I say unfortunately because I kind of like just getting paid to be home. Um, so my furlough will be coming to an end uh, either Friday or Monday. So all week I've been trying to kind of condition myself to getting a routine, get normal, getting yeah. up earlier. to normal, um, but yeah, I actually I, I watched one of the games. Um, I found it it wasn't bad to watch because it sounds like ESPN was dubbing in uh, crowd uh, crowd noise. Uh,
2: ESPN, no, I I wouldn't give them any credit. They they're not doing really great broadcasting the games other than the fact that it's on. But it, it, it's decent baseball, and you know it's it's cool to see some names you recognize. And go Kiwoom Heroes, two and O oh, baby.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm going with the, I'm going with Casey Kelly's team. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it's, it's, just nice, you know. It's, a, you have baseball on there, and it just feels like we're getting closer and closer to just getting Major League Baseball and getting the players that we know, who we can pronounce their names, and that we're excited about. Like, oh, you can't
2: name, you can't say Byung-hung Byung-ho Park, Byung-ho Park. Oh, see, it's,
1: Park Lee Kim, like those are the names that you guys. You and Casey Kelly. And, <laughs> and K- Casey Kelly. and Casey Kelly. You know, it, it's weird to see like the umpires looking like foot soldiers from Ninja Turtles, like they're in all oh, black, the and they got, like those masks. They the get, food. like, those Masks on, yeah. Um.
2: The lawnmower ump. Did you see the lawnmower ump?
1: Yeah, they're all. It's it's all crazy. Like you get the first base coach. She's wearing the mask. Like that's different to see. What I found funny though is watching the one of the broadcasts and had call ravage and he was going over the rules and him and eduardo perez and they were talking about how they're not allowed to spit and then one of the guys that's in the batter's box goes and spits before he goes he in between pitches and i was just kind of like ha that's funny like they're not supposed to be spitting on the diamond and no. here's this guy it's like out of habit you know
2: they're um, not supposed to even spit sunflower seeds which would be
0: no. nope super
2: hard so to is do that
1: a, is
0: that a cor- a coronavirus rule or is that a kbo thing like, is that a cultural thing in Korea? Coronavirus thing. No, it's a oh, coronavirus okay. thing.
1: I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it's because of the yeah, virus. I didn't know if
0: it was like a, an insult to your ancestors if you spit on the ground or something like that.
2: No, there's, yeah, they're not allowed to even high five. I've seen, they've done it and they've, you know, had handshakes and whatnot, but they're, they're not supposed to.
1: It's going to be, so, be so hard because that's just like, that's how we're, like, you're wired, you know, when you're growing up. As a kid, like what what happens? You get a you get a big hit. You high five, and if you're in the crowd mm-hmm. and you're and you're watching a game with your buddies, you're high five, and you, you know what I mean, like you're fist pumping. You're not just gonna be like, yeah, and just like pretend high five or bang elbows and the, the the you you what you're conditioned to do is is gonna like come back to you. It, you know what I mean? So, um, it's just it's good to see some baseball. It's good to uh, it's it's a good kind of like um. It's kinda of like a like one of those like forwards or prefaces to a book. It's kinda of like getting you kinda of going and, and before we actually get some it's like it's the appetizer to the course. You know? We're, you. we're getting we're getting close.
2: I'll tell you what though, if baseball doesn't come back until July one, I will be very proficient in the players in the KBO because I have played DFS lineups
0: both nights. So we might have to start a separate KBO <laughs> podcast.
2: Oh, I'd love it. Give me all of the KBO you can give.
1: The I don't KBO think KBO show.
2: I'm not gonna lie. I don't think I'm gonna ignore the KBO going forward in my life. Like I think I'm a Kaiwum Heroes fan till the day I die. Can you get their jersey? They, can Can you buy them on look, the Fanatics? I no. You. <laughs> I wish you had to go to their team website and I was just Did clicking you, stuff the at website, that point. website?
1: Now, now I mentioned the websites in last podcast. Did you go to the websites? You see what I was talking about? The
2: yes. Websites. Yeah. Did I mean, like- the, I mean, obviously they're impossible for me to to navigate. You uh, can't
1: navigate it, and literally, like, I thought my identity was going to be stolen, like, the kind of website that it was. It was – it's sketchy.
2: If anyone out there is listening from South Korea and you can get your hands on the Kaiwoom Heroes tan corduroy dad hat, send it to your boy because that thing is fresh. And if I knew how to order one and I could trust that I'd get it and I could trust that my information was out there, I would buy it.
0: Our demographic show that we have some you listeners guys make, in South Korea, so you might get one in the mail. Hope you you guys can,
1: if they can make it happen, you, we will carve out a segment on the podcast and how you made that happen.
2: Yes. The, the, the great blog, will even write a blog about you.
1: <laughs> hey, look, guys, I am trying to think of some other ways to kind of try to keep it fresh. You know, I, I had a, a golf one that just came out, which has done very, very well considering that we really don't do anything golf. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ways to just kind of keep it fresh and kind of be a little bit different from some of the other stuff that that's out there. So, uh, look, if people will read about how you got your hat, I'll do it.
0: <laughs> so you led me into something I wanted to close with at the end, but if anybody has any ideas of something they want to hear us talk about on the podcast, uh, shoot us uh, a DM on Twitter, uh, at Boston Sports Sin or on at Red Sox pod underscore BSS, or shoot us an email at contact at Boston sports com. We'd love to hear from you and uh, we take any ideas and we love to talk baseball. So if you got some good ideas, we'd love to hear them.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good call out. I'll piggyback on that. Um, if you follow the Red Sox uh, Twitter handle, um, we're putting out some different um polls every day just to kind of get some different engagement. Um the John Lester one today that was uh, out there has done very very well. Um you know, considering the amount of people who follow the page to the amount of engagements to the tweet, it shows that uh you guys are listening and you uh you know, so give us some feedback, you know, and things you want to hear talk about because uh we're we're game for that. So
0: Alright, so now I have to tell you that I totally gave you some bad information. Mickey Mantle won three MVPs. Okay. So oh, boy. you can laugh at me all you want. I was wrong. I'll I'll amend the trivia yeah. question. Who's the only left handed throwing switch hitter to win an MVP? No super. Okay. You. I'm gonna go with Vita blue You would be correct. I'm you not win right. a Corduroy Dad Hat of, from the
2: KBO. Oh don't don't play with me, Bill. I would love if that thing showed up. <laughs>
0: All right guys, any uh, final thoughts on uh, our topics of the day? No, uh, I think we uh, I think we touched
2: all bases. Special nope, episode no and we went over there. an hour
0: and 20. That's what we do. Yeah, I was thinking like half an hour maybe we talk about it, but what am I going to learn? <laughs> you think I would know by now? <laughs> we can't stop. Can't stop. No, stop. so so we're out of the rotation now for about a month, so I I kind of smell maybe a future special episode being thrown in there the Red Sox podcast to be named later. What do you guys think?
2: Or maybe the special news announcement that baseball is well, you back. know
0: we're getting on that as soon as that happens. So let's let's hope that of that course. happens before our rotation is up again.
2: Who knows we might have a special special episode that we record tomorrow when the news comes out 5 minutes from now after <laughs> the recording oh, stops. we'll
0: be I'll be calling you as soon as the news comes out. Of course, you guys are up uh, on deck next with an Above the Parquet episode. Mm -hmm. So that'll be coming out soon. uh,
1: We'll have a a Celtics episode. Um, We'll have have an agenda. We'll have uh, some conversation um, to to satisfy your basketball needs. There's some basketball podcasts that are out there right now talking, um, and obviously, The Obvious, which is The Last Dance. So I'm sure we'll probably hit on that. But we're going to try to bring you something, again, that's different. That's what I'm I, That's I, I'm a firm believer of. You have to try to bring people some different content that's different from what you can get out there. So that's what we're going to try to do. Tune in. We don't have a Twitter for that. So just follow the the, the main page and wait for some of those announcements. And uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend.
0: Yeah, and if uh, you've checked out our new website, www.BostonSportsSyndicate.com, uh, there are links to all our sp- our special episode podcasts, not special episode, uh, our team-specific podcasts that we have, uh, not just Red Sox podcast, later. We have the Above the Parquet for the Celtics. We have Fire the Muskets for the Patriots and Poke the Bear for the Bruins. And, of course, we have our Mothership podcast, the Boston Sports Syndicate. So there are links to all of those on our uh, new super sleek website that just came out last week. So please check that out.
1: Yeah. And it's super simple to for those podcasts too. It's the one, it's the, it's the first link. They're all right there. Click on whichever one that you want to listen to go to iTunes, leave feedback too. So let us know what you like. Um, if you don't like it, just DM us directly. Uh, but you know, but all, you know, all things considered the feedback that we're getting has been really, really good. And it's exciting to see, um, you know, and just kind of read that feedback from just, you know, random people who are listening and, um, you know, just, I want to just kind of say a shout out to the people who message me directly in regards to some of the stuff that's written. I'm kind of happy that we're able to kind of challenge and get you to talk sports because it's been uh, pretty interesting. I like the good and the bad. So it's been fun to kind of go back and forth people.
0: Yeah. It's good to know that it's not just our family and friends that are listening to this, that there are some people out there that are actually taking us seriously. So that, That's inspiration to move on and do more.
2: And again, if you are a fan of the syndicate and you live in South Korea, DM me, Maddie D underscore Rose. I've even neatened up my Twitter handle for you. DM me. I want that hat.
0: All right, guys. With that closing thought, I I think it's time to go. So – Matt, Chris, one, one more thing. thing. All right,
1: go, go, thing. go. Yeah, I just—it's uh, today's. Title, National
0: title National of the Day. episode. One more thing.
1: No, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Today's National Nurses Day, um, and I, I just want to make sure that we able, you know, we're recognizing that, just in the climate that we're in right now, Great and just call, say Chris. for everybody who, um, if you happen to be in the medical field, I have um one of my coworkers, uh, she, who works for me, she works part time, but she works at a at a nursing facility. And this week's been kind of scary for her and where they're at, and uh, just with National Guard and stuff going in, and you know she's not a nurse, but um, works in the facility. So just you know for the for what these people are doing for us and and uh, and our loved ones, and you know just a just a shout out and a thank you, and you know you don't need a specific day to get the call out. We should be thanking them every day and, and things like that. But I just wanted to kind of shout that out because today is National Nurses Day. I have been. Um, someone who in the past has kind of pooed on those national days you know because there always seems to be a day for something you know national macaroni and cheese day national i went outside day like there's all kinds of these stupid days this is one that that makes sense and uh it's been kind of cool to, to read some things about it and it just made me think about some people that i know and and i'm sure you guys know and so just wanted to take a quick second with that yeah good call chris yeah, yeah, yeah that's all awesome. well
0: said they had the uh flyover of the uh F sixteen jets over Massachusetts today being Wednesday. Uh yep. which you know, I kinda poo pooed and then I saw all the healthcare workers that came out to see it and they really appreciate it. So made me change my mind on it. You know, if if it buoyed their spirits even for for a little while, it was definitely worth it. So
1: Yeah, just in the short term it's those little things, you know what I mean? Like um it's, it's those little, little, little things that I think that people kind of need and things like that. So, um, so, uh, you guys, uh, do we have like a breaking news like little thing that we can kind of do? Do we have
0: breaking news? Baseball's back? I think,
1: think we've got some breaking news. Jeff Passan of ESPN. Teams are telling players to get ready and get in shape that MLB is expected to send a return to play proposal to the union soon that gears baseball to start to begin the return uh, ESPN is also saying that the proposal is expected within a week and that they should be expecting to play for spring training and that the season would start in early June that's just happened
0: so Sorry. if you had, if you had my, done your shout out exploding. to the nurses we'd be off by now so that served two purposes <laughs> wow that's huge that's awesome So, uh,
2: yeah,
1: we'll be back soon, I guess. So, Jeff Passon, do not play with my emotions. You do not do – well, you know what, though? Trevor Pluth – Yeah, I was – Trevor Pluth – I was going to bring that up, and he got
0: shot down pretty fast.
1: He got shot down fast. There was people that shot him down. I might have and said that he was – he sat on a throne of lies. He does not sit on a throne of lies. I take that back, Trevor Pluth, if you are listening. You're probably not, but if you're listening – I take that back. Good for you. Baseball's coming back. Well, Trevor
0: Pluth also said teams would be playing in their home stadiums, which which seemed a little extreme to me. I hope he's right.
1: Let me see here. Uh, General managers and managers from at least a dozen uh, Major League Baseball teams reached out to players. um, Passon references Trevor Pluth in this article. Um, Interesting. Well, you never know. We could be recording next week hopefully finally we got breaking news before we turned off and, and stopped for turn the red light off for the podcast
0: all right all right for once we got it right or for once it hit right for us i should say yeah all right guys any more final final thoughts i'm just elated right now i can't even
1: now we're just gonna get you that hat
2: he won't Ain't need the that hat. hat. baseball's back <laughs> nope i told you i'm a lifelong kaiwoom heroes lifelong. fan now okay Lifelong
0: for two days. It's got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, exactly. My daughter will know of the Kai Ooh, Heroes. If, if you can get her a onesie, too, when you get Matt that hat. Oh, yeah, that'd be nice. I'm looking forward to really those nice. pictures
2: on Facebook. Oh, and I'm looking at my calendar. Friday is National Send-A-Podcast Host-A-Hat Day.
0: <laughs> Talk about your trivial days. Wow. That's right, All right. up there. My luck. Just that's my right luck. there with National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day. <laughs> yeah, every day is National <laughs> Cho- Chocolate Chip Cookie Day. It has been, been in my house lately, that's for sure. All right, guys. We're going to have to cut this off before people start uh, turning off their listening devices on us. So, Matt, Chris, always a pleasure. Look forward to talking to you real, real soon. Everybody listening, thank you for joining us once again as we go totally off the rails. We hope you enjoyed it, and we will catch you later. Bye-bye. Peace.
2: Boston Sports Syndicate.
0: Music for the Boston Sports Syndicate provided by IMCDF and Jay Kelly.